Welcome to Her Sacred Sexuality Podcast, the show that celebrates our God-given sexuality for women who want to unlock their feminine power. We're your hosts, Karen Welton and Bethany Phillips, two friends passionate about liberating women from the shackles of shame and condemnation to up-level every area of our lives through pleasure and play. Join us in our slumber party style conversations as we discuss taboo topics such as sex, kink, and relationships for women of faith who desire more. Discover how good sex can be and the limitless possibilities when we embrace our sacred sexuality. Hey, girlfriends, it's Bethany Phillips, your co-host of Her Sacred Sexuality, and I'm here today with Karen Welton, my co-host for this podcast. We're so excited that you guys are here today. Today is all about Karen and her story. I'm so excited for you guys to hear her entire life and what she's been through, um, what she's come out of. It's going to be so good, so juicy, so filled with emotional hardships and emotional breakthroughs, sexual breakthroughs. I mean, so many good nuggets to really take home and digest and I think you guys are really going to love it. And you're going to hear a completely different um, story of somebody's life who has been through so much, has come out so much more beautiful and better on the other side. And it's just going to be so good. So Karen, welcome. We're so excited to hear your story. So I'll just dive right in here. Bethany is so true when she says like our stories are completely different. So um but make sure you listen to hers because, oh my gosh, she knocked it out of the park last week. Such an important story for so many people. And I'm just going to jump into mine. So in many ways, like I grew up, um, it was kind of a Christian home. The kind of Christians were like, you go to church on Easter and Christmas kind of deals. Um, not like part of our life though. So grew up, I don't remember a whole lot from my childhood. I do remember feeling I was like a really shy girl it took like a lot for me to make friends so like when I say our stories are opposite Bethany is like 100% confident and here I am like I am struggling as a little girl to like feel comfortable in my own skin like I struggled uh to just feel like secure in myself I remember kind of like hiding even in like middle school hiding under tables and doing arts and crafts and I was a quiet kid mm -hmm. and I was insecure um I later realized through like doing lots of inner healing work that I was believing this lie that I actually got in the womb when my mother was pregnant with me and she wasn't ready to have kids yet. And she was struggling with depression and anxiety. And she, she said, I don't want to have a baby. And so my brain got programmed from the womb with this belief that I'm not wanted, that people will reject me. And I grew up expecting that and like seeing that happen reinforced in my life, like year after year after oh. year. Growing up though, like getting past that, starting to like step into who I was as a young adult, a teenager. Um, I remember having a group of girlfriends that were, that we were like, there were like five of us and we really kind of stuck together through some of those like really tough high school years. And I'm so thankful and grateful for them. It was just fun. Like, we just got to be like losers together, I feel like. <laughs> but we had so much fun yeah. doing it. <laughs> so I'm, I went to like an art school where I was in an honors classroom. 
And there weren't very many boys in our class. It was like maybe three, two or three boys in our classroom of like 30. And most of us were girls um, for whatever reason. That's just kind of how it was. So that kind of was like my high school experience. There just weren't lots of boys. I did have like crushes, but it was always like the popular girls got, you know, the few boys that were in the class. So as I like my friend circle expanded and I was hanging out with other people, a couple friends started a youth group. This is like during you my high started school years. It? I didn't start it, my oh, friend okay. did, but I was a part of like the group when it was only like five or six mm. teens. And it was like a youth led youth group every Friday night we would like rock out to skillet and <laughs> <laughs> all of these like I don't know, Christian bands that are just so nostalgic to me now and we would blast the music and we were in the basement of this church that was actually an ice skating rink but it was like converted into a church for the church purposes and so we were in the basement we like spray painted all the lock I mean it was like youth group grunge it was so <laughs> hilarious yes like the best of times. That's so fun. <laughs> God, that's when God really just started like developing my confidence, and I got comfortable like hanging out with guys, mm -hmm. which I didn't really have a whole lot of, other than some like encounters at summer camps, and I had like a two week like boyfriend one year that I didn't even like and wasn't even attracted to. I liked his best friend, but I just, <laughs> I was like, I guess I'll go out because we're all hooking up. We all have like a partner, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, you're gross. I don't like you. I'm going to bring oh up. Oh my God. <laughs> so like my dating experience was very small. Like Bethany's over here, like hooking up left and right with boys. And I'm like, oh, I kind of like you, but I'm too scared yeah. to talk to you. <laughs> My, like, sexual experience, this story is, like, going to be very short because there's just not a whole lot that happened. <laughs> I did, at one point, sneak out with a boy. I don't know how – I was in high school. I had to be, like, a sophomore or junior, and I met him at, like, a ska concert, and I thought it was so hot. And we snuck out and made out, and then he dropped me back off. And it was really probably stupid, like – Logically, like I could have been murdered, who knows? But I thought he was like the cutest boy ever. And I was, I felt like such a badass for sneaking out and not telling my parents. Oh my God, did they ever find out? <laughs> no, unless they're going to listen yeah. to this podcast. They have no idea. You're about to be grounded. <laughs> I'm about to be grounded now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I had some great friends, though. And in this youth group, we really developed like wonderful friendships with, I just got to develop them with young men, young women. We were hanging out. We'd hang out at each other's houses. We would go to coffee shops and have Bible studies. We had like, we even went on like youth mission trips. Like it was just like a really beautiful community and friendship of young people who were all passionate and on fire for mm. God. And we were seeing amazing things like happen. We felt like God was using us. We were you know, hearing from God, we were praying for people. It was like truly just like a, a wonderful time in my life where I grew in confidence, like with God and with like other young mm. adults. So I thought, I feel like looking back, I often, I feel like God really kept my heart pure and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful just to like have the experience and go, oh, this was I could, could have been like really bad. It could have been like some situations that weren't healthy or good for me that I had to then like heal from, but he really protected my heart and my yeah. body. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. 
I also met my husband in this youth group, Jonathan. And in this, in our story, we ended up getting married young. So he was at the time, like he was dating another girl in youth group. And then we would like hang out and cuddle and he'd put his arm around me. And then I'd like, it was kind of like a lot of the people were doing that though. But at the time I didn't see it as a red flag. I should have, but I didn't like, oh, you have a girlfriend, but you're cuddling with me <laughs> and being all affectionate. Then later, like realizing, oh, that's like, he normalized that, even though that's not necessarily something you do normally when you're outside of a relationship right, with somebody right. else. There was a lot of red flags and I'll kind of unpack this as I go, but there was a lot of red flags I didn't know, I didn't see as a young woman that I should have seen, that nobody told me like, oh, this is not how you treat your, someone who's, you know, not your girlfriend or that you're in a relationship with a young woman, you need to have like respectful, you know, boundaries. Um, so I got to know Jonathan and he eventually broke it off with his girlfriend. And then within like, I think a couple weeks, he asked me to be his girlfriend. And I wasn't at the time like attracted to him, but we had a really, really close friendship and I felt really safe with him and really had opened up my heart to him, probably on a deeper emotional level than I probably should have. Uh, so when he asked me to be his girlfriend, it was kind of like this, oh, wow, I never considered that before, but I, I'm already so like invested in this relationship and my heart is already open to you so much that it was like a natural, like, yes. Right. And I remember even like praying like, God, I want to marry someone like him, like, with that kind of passion for God and character and all of that. And so we dated for, I would say a year and fairly soon he started asking me like, let's get married. I'm in high school though. Remember? And I'm like, this is freaking me out. I'm like, I am not ready to get yeah. married. He was already graduated though as a homeschooler, even though he's only a year and a half ahead of me. Mm. But so I met him and I think we started dating when I was a junior by the time I was in high school. And I remember saying like, no, I don't want to get married that young. Like you're crazy. And eventually though, he kind of wore me down and I didn't realize at the time, but he really manipulated me sort of into marrying him at such a young age. And, um, part of this was my fault. I didn't have like good boundaries, emotional boundaries to just like, Hey, uh, I'm not ready for that right. yet. Like <laughs> kind of thing. You know, it reminds me of that verse again, like don't awake, awaken love before it's time. And I think that applies even to like emotional love and emotional connection. When you really open your heart to someone, you can't reverse that. Like, it's really, really hard to just like rip that bandaid off and like shut that door when your heart is emotionally open and invested with someone. Yeah. And so after he, he proposed to me after a, a season and at that point, we'd already talked about marriage so much. And I had said, yes, and okay, like, let's do this. Our hearts were already like super connected. Um, and it was like passionate and wonderful. And it felt like I was totally in love. And he was romantic and sending me tons of flowers and like doing all the right things this doting boyfriend would do. So just, just real so quick, you, you kind of went about like the relationship backwards. Like you fell in love more like with your heart, not with like looks and things like that. Like, it's not like you had made out with him or had any hookup thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, we were like, best, probably I would say we were best friends before we even started dating, Yeah, which is a good way to do it. Like I recommend that not making it all physical right. because it wasn't physical. And in fact, I wasn't even physically attracted to him for a long time. Oh. 
Um, the first time I met him, I remember thinking he was a weirdo. <laughs> he had like a weird beret hat and, you know, weird pants and tie-dye shirt. And he had this whole character he'd like created wow. that was like his persona <laughs> during those youth group days. Like this guy's a weirdo. I don't even like him. But he was also so tender yeah. and so emotionally like there, like intense, I would say emotionally intense, that we just formed this really tight connection really quickly because when he put all his attention on me, I was I and me having grown up feeling like all I want is to feel desired. I just wanna feel wanted and loved. And I'd watch all my like all these girls throughout junior high and high school get boyfriends and be pursued. And, and I think for me, I had more of a desire to be desired than actually in like a healthy relationship. Cause I didn't really know what yeah. that was. Like my parents got divorced. They didn't have a healthy relationship. They argued or there was like depression. There was, you know, stuff going on. They, I, I'd never had a healthy marriage relationship really modeled to me in a way that I could like right. emulate. And so I only would look at like the high school, you know, hookups and be like, oh, that must be so nice. And so there was this obsession in me and this hole in me, truly, honestly, for love and affection that I didn't have, that I didn't, for whatever reason, get growing up, that I felt this insecurity in me that needed to feel loved and accepted. And so when he came along and filled that bucket boy, my heart opened wow. wide and it was like, yes, this is what I want. And I'm fully in love and we're going to get married. And I probably freaked my parents out. Cause it's like, you're too young. I also though, didn't want to go off to college. Like I was like looking at my life going, what other option do I have? Like go off to college and party and find myself. Like, I'm not really into that. Like, I feel like I've youth group was honestly me finding right. myself. Like if I know God, like I know who I am, like that's the core of who I am. I don't need a bunch of booze and frat houses to find myself. Yeah. And like, you know, right. like, and I feel like there's this like pressure on a lot of young people to like, you got to go to college and find yourself. And it's really more like lose yourself, yeah. lose your virginity, lose your morals, lose your standards, yeah. like you forget, and then have to go through like a journey into your twenties of like actually finding yeah. yourself and figuring out who you are and what you want out of life. You were able, like, you know, you said you were like insecure growing up and then you really found God and that's where you found yourself. And so everything yeah. after that, it was like, none of that was attractive to you because you had already found your grounding. You had already found your roots. And it's like, well, I'm not going to go out and like waste it waste my purity and all these things on things that don't mean anything or will add up to mean anything. And I think part of it too was like, I was in this relationship that, that was very emotionally intense and, and wanting to fall in love and get married. Yeah. And, and so that was kind of the path I chose. My friends in high school thought I was crazy. My parents thought I was crazy. Everybody was probably like this girl's, you know, I don't uh, we're, we're concerned. We're just nervous for her. My friends thought I'd get married and have a baby like right away at 18 yeah. or something. You know, we, instead of getting married right out of high school, like Jonathan wanted, and I joke around that like homeschoolers are like bred for marriage. Like they just kind of raise them right up to just get married <laughs> and have babies. And I'm like, I was not a homeschooler. I did not get this yeah. memo. <laughs> but he was like ready to get married right after I graduated and we postponed it a year. Thankfully, that was a wise choice. It was also a hard choice because now we're engaged. I was actually engaged as a senior in high school. So talk so about crazy. like 
freaking people out. Um, but then we waited like another year, which is, it was wise. It was also stupid because now we're horny teenagers having to wait a year to get married. And we are, you know, necking, we're making out, we're doing all the things. It's this intense, lovey thing. It was like so much. And I'm like, we saved ourselves for marriage, but just barely, <laughs> Bethany. Just barely. What do you? What do we mean? We did everything, but got it. <laughs> we 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 did it all. Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of it, I I remember feeling like we did the whole thing where it's like, oh, we sinned. You know, we went too far. We crossed the line. I mean, like there was oral sex, like there was fingering. It was like definitely beyond like decency sure. and healthy yeah. but we saved ourselves from marriage, so, like, <laughs> wait okay i have a question though <laughs> did you ever like orgasm then yeah i don't think so i think it was just like lots of heavy making okay. out and like being turned on and i don't think i ever like climaxed that i couldn't at least okay. remember having done it um yeah, and to me, sex was not something we talked about. My mom did try to have a conversation with me about sex and masturbation before I got married, and I remember feeling totally weirded <laughs> out and uncomfortable because I was like, I don't want to talk to yeah. you about this. And she was, it was filled. She had so much emotion and like anger almost that I was just like, no, I don't want to talk oh to you about gosh. this. Oh my gosh! So like, shut that down. But I really didn't have anyone else to talk mm. to, so we managed to like just barely skate by into like, you know, marriage with our virginity, both of us were virgins, and we got our gold star, you know, right, from Jesus. <laughs> I feel like that's how it's like, congratulations, you did it, and it's just ridiculous, kind of. I'm Not that I'm devaluing, like, saving yourself for marriage, but the fact that we did all these other things and still thought we were, like, you know, good, pure, right. and, good. and then we'd have to repent over it, right? Like, so you do the thing, you make out, you do the bad thing, and then you have to repent to God, and and then you do it all over again next Friday night. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like life for a little yeah. while. Um, but so we did make it to the marriage bed. Um, and I remember thinking like, oh, this is great. We've been waiting our whole, you know, our whole life for this. We're going to have sex. This could be amazing. And it was like a flop. <laughs> it was, it hurt. I had so much hairspray and bobby pins on my hair from the wedding day like a crazy updo and i couldn't get it out so i felt like i had a giant mop <laughs> on my head and eventually we just gave up like i don't know how to even get this, <laughs> this hairspray out uh, we're gonna have to work on it tomorrow oh um so we had like a hot tub we took a bath and we had sex and it hurt it wasn't even like enjoyable because and that's actually very yeah. normal from what i understand like to have sex it's your first time like were you nervous or were you excited i was i would say i was okay. excited because we'd already done so much it was like oh now we get to do this it's like you know the one thing that we've reserved for marriage and so i was excited i was yeah. tired because it was a long day it was our wedding day um and so i just figured this that's kind of normal for the first time it's okay we'll like well we have our lifetime to figure this out yeah. right like, we can do it again tomorrow. That's the beauty of marriage. And I remember, like, right from the honeymoon, he almost, like, lost interest. Like, he didn't want to have wow. sex. And I was so confused. Like, we're supposed to be, like, rabbits, like, going at it. Like, we've been for the last year. What, what happened? Like, don't you want to have sex right. with me? So it, it's triggered, like, all of my rejection issues and abandonment issues. Mm. And... The, like a lot of our newlywed life was spent like arguing 
and and me feeling very rejected and unseen and not loved and not pursued and him emotionally shutting wow. down like just he didn't know how to handle you know really anything he he so he emotionally disconnected and shut down and started stonewalling me so we'd either argue and he'd feel threatened he'd feel like i'm being controlling or i'm being too critical and i'm reaching out to him for love like hey i feel disconnected i want to be connected to you i want to have sex i want to like do it and you know what's wrong like we we're really really all over each other while we were dating and it's it was like the very the stereotypical thing of like you know the devil wants to get you in bed before you're married and out of bed after yeah. you're married so i remember you know knowing that being like oh this is the devil like this we're just we have to work through our issues like we have marriage is yeah. hard and everyone would say like marriage is hard you have to work on everything so i just kind of thought this is normal hard marriage stuff right so we get in you know we're still just like very disconnected arguing a lot not having a lot of sex i'm feeling hurt and wounded and we kind of start growing further apart like seven years in he has an affair with an intern and i catch them he, it's not like he even admits it like they're having oral sex it's a bunch it's like a mess oh and at this point, he had released a book. He was doing ministry, like public ministry. So he had to take a whole like year off. He stopped uh, ministering. He stopped like doing anything publicly. We took a year off, went through a restoration process of sorts. You took a year off from went, your marriage? No, we took a year off from like from him doing public okay. ministry. We were still married. We stayed married. And um we separated, we got counseling. He went to like a sex therapist. He, he did all of these like things you're supposed to do. And I, we kind of went through the motions and I went through the motions with him. Like, okay, we're going to get counseling. This is horrible, but we'll get through it. I forgive you. You know, like my heart was open to working mm. it out, not really realizing he's still emotionally connected to this girl. He was still pursuing her and he also was involved in like all kinds of pornography and even like going to like strip clubs and prostitutes. Wow. Like there was this whole lifestyle he confessed once I discovered about this affair and it all just showed, it was like, what the hell wow. is this? I, I don't know even what to do with this. So I don't even understand. And this was before you guys so, had kids or after? This, this was, was before. before. Okay. Yep. So I, I had my out there and I didn't take it. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. But kind of. <laughs> oh, you're so savage. I love it. All of that to say, I was still young and dumb. I didn't really know what I'd gotten myself mm. into. I didn't know how dysfunctional our marriage was. I just thought it was normal, hard marriage shit. <laughs> and it was more than that. It was like, there's a secret life happening behind closed yeah. doors. There's a shit ton of sin going on and shame deep shame on his mm. part everything sexual had shame surrounding it from the christian upbringing and the control and the the shame put on it from his you know growing up in <clears throat> very controlling environment. i have a question whereas i didn't have that so in this time did like was he on board with the healing but then also like gaslighting you and being like we're you know this isn't what you think, like totally. all this stuff. And what, how did that affect you within the marriage? Like, were you still in your openness to 
like fix it, to heal it. Like you were like, I'll do whatever it takes. You need to do the work. I'll show up too. Like, how did that dynamic play out? Yeah. He was totally gaslighting me and minimizing what he did, but also like, okay, I confessed it. I'm going to share everything. And now, okay, I'm, I repented. And he always wanted like the quick Mm. fix, you know, he's always moved fast. He's always been like, very much like let's just get it done and get it over with kind of thing and i'm like i don't think you get it (laughs) (laughs) there's there's a lot here but all of the tools and the solutions offered to him were more control more shame more like sex therapy shame based you know crap and he was so repulsed by Mm. it all so he was like well i'll figure out my own way so he did a bunch of research he read a bunch of books which is kind of his thing like I'm going to pour my brain into something and read like a 50 million books on a topic and become the expert and then I'll have my answer. So that's kind of what he did. And then he wrote a whole book like about, you know, eyes of honor and like navigating the season. Mm -hmm. And basically all he did, he didn't deal with the trauma in deep in his childhood and in his soul. So instead what he did was he learned a bunch of stuff to make him really smart, wrote a book, but then he moved the goalpost of like, okay, I'm not allowed to do this in marriage. I can't have an affair. I can't go to prostitutes. I can't, you know, watch porn. So I'm just going to move the line of like what's acceptable out here. Mm. But instead I'm going to, I'm basically then over the next 10 years, I thought it was better. I thought he like repented and grew and fixed, you know, whatever the brokenness was. And really he just moved the line and then we grew more and more disconnected all over again. Mm. So the gaslighting, continued, the stonewalling continued um a lot of the arguing continued and he would just become more and more like in his own world and he would retreat and kind of like be this very introverted like i have all of these burdens he's carrying and he's stressed out by ministry and the demand and as he's rising in like notoriety he he was he became relatively successful and well known in his circle as an author and like a spiritual, you know, speaker and teacher and wrote lots of books. So he was fairly well known, not just like at our local church, but all over the world. And as he's growing in this fame, I'm getting famous too, because, hey, I'm married to this famous person. And so we're going on these lovely vacations. Oh, and we started having kids. So um, we were about eight years and I had, we had our first daughter, then second and third within a span of about six years or about two years apart. So I'm home focused on babies, nursing, working on, I became a doula to help other women, you know, have positive birth experiences. I started my pain-free birth e-course and I'm working on that. Meanwhile, he is traveling the world, you know, going on trips to Egypt and taking teams with him and he's writing books and bestsellers and our lives are becoming like very disconnected. Mm. And we didn't even have sex for a year after I had my first baby. And one of my friends was like, Karen, that's not normal. And I'm like, oh, it's not. Cause like I healed after six weeks and he had no interest. There was like no emotional connection there. There was just this like, wall of like i i don't feel safe i don't want to be intimate and i even remember going to like a bookstore one time feeling so distraught like where are the books for the wives whose husbands don't want to have sex because all i hear about is the women complaining about how much their partner wants to have sex and how annoying it is about how horny they are and how they just want to have sex all the time and they're like sick of it (laughs) and they want to have they have a headache 
Right. And I'm like, where's the books for the wives who actually want yeah. to sex? Like, I'm, I'm like, I am. Like, I want to have sex. I want to connect to my husband. I came into this marriage pure. I didn't have a whole lot of sexual experience. Like, the only sexual trauma is, like, between you and me, buddy. Like, like we got to work this out. And couldn't find anything. Nothing. Not even a conversation, a podcast, a book, nothing. It was, like, crickets. I'm like, I guess I'm the only one with this problem. I guess there's just something wrong with me or something wrong wow. with him. Or maybe he has a medical condition. And I I could not figure it out. So it's just kind of like the more I would, like, press and, like, pull him in and and say I desire, like, I want this, I want to connect to you, the more I felt like he would pull wow. away. Or we would connect, we would have sex, and then something, we would get in an argument within 24 hours, and it would sabotage that intimacy and connection just wow. like that. And I'm like, and the devil, like, you know, and it really is yeah. true. Like, God, at the end, he wants to get you disconnected. Absolutely. And of sex and not talking, not connected, not, not having sex. And I knew that I just didn't know how to like fix right. it. I didn't know what, what to do, what I was doing wrong, what he was doing wrong. It was just like, I was frustrated. I would complain. He would get more frustrated. He would feel criticized. He would pull away even more. So eventually we got, it got to this point where it was discovered that he's having an emotional affair with one of his staff members. And so this is like now almost 10 years later after the first affair. Like he managed himself very wow. well for a long time. And then all of this trauma, all of this wounding, all of this like emotional turmoil eventually caught up with him because guess what? When you shut off your heart to the one you're married to, you still have to get your needs wow. You still have emotional, physical, sexual needs. And he basically would open his heart to all the females in his life um, or hire women who were vulnerable and, and open-hearted and begin to exploit their vulnerabilities mm. and get his emotional needs met from them and feel feeling wanted and admired and adored. And it just would feed him in a way because he was shut off to me and any other healthy relationship in his life. He didn't even have any healthy male friends. It was just all mm. women. So all of these should have been like red, red flag. flag. <laughs> there were lots of red flags along the way. And I was just like, <laughs> So many red flags, and I was just clueless to most of them, thinking, this is just marriage. It's just hard. You got to work on your marriage. Wow. <laughs> so I felt, at this point, totally shocked and, um, and, like, and just, like, I got side-punched in the face. You know, like, it was sidelined, and I didn't expect it coming at all. Felt completely betrayed and completely humiliated, because at this point, he was much more well-known. Mm. Like... This was more of a, an event. Like, he really crashed his whole life, his whole ministry, his whole staff quit, his board quit. I kicked him out. Um, we had three kids at this point, and, and I, sorry, I, we had two kids, and I was pregnant, seven and a half months pregnant with our third. So I am ready to pop Bethany within, like, a month, and all of this gets exposed. He's having an emotional affair with a staff member. He's lying. He's manipulating. There was this whole like investigation going on behind the scenes. He never even told me about it. It was like so much, I could like unpack it, but it's not even like relevant. It's just an absolute insanity. But all that to say it was complete craziness. And I felt shocked and betrayed and, and 
Like my whole world came crashing down all around. Oh my gosh, yeah. Because here I am thinking he would never do that again. Like he did that back then, ten years ago. He would never do that again. He knows the cost. He knows how stupid it was. He wouldn't risk everything just to do that again. Nope, I was wrong. And come to find out, like he after everyone kind of gets like involved around us, like this isn't just about me. This is about, he has a school with thousands of students going through a Bible school. Like, mind you, like you're supposed to be a man of God, you know, and have integrity character. And no, no, this is, so there's, there were other leaders that get, that got involved um, to kind of clean up the mess essentially and investigate like what's actually going on. So he went to a psychologist and got, I did testing and got diagnosed essentially as a narcissist. They said he has all of the, I think there's nine qualities that make up a narcissist. Um, and I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but essentially it's like a lying manipulation, this grandiose sense of self, but also a deep sense of insecurity mm-hmm. and a need for people's affection and admiration. So it's a very interesting coin. Uh, it's rooted in childhood trauma and rejection of like yourself and deep shame often. And so a narcissist needs to get their, what they they call narcissistic supply met, which means they, they, because they don't have self-love and self-affirmation and a sense of self, they have to pull that from other people. So the narcissistic supply is, I need you to tell me how much you adore me. I need to feel, you know, wanted and loved and, praised by all of those around me and so they prop themselves up some of them are highly successful people like like most of hollywood and is narcissists (laughs) and lots of like sports stars and movie stars and politicians you see a lot of narcissism in certain fields because they rise to certain heights to in order to get they have this drive to get this sense of validation and praise Mm. and success life but they're deeply wounded on the inside and don't have a sense of self they have to take it from other people and so um he was more of like what you would call a covert narcissist so he was very sweet he was very gentle he was very loving he wasn't like the loud boisterous type but he was still very manipulative very divisive very underhanded he would lie he would you know, say one thing to someone and then something else to someone else anyone who would come against him or like confront him he would totally smear them and talk bad about them or fire them or malign Mm. them. And as I learned about the narcissistic cycle of abuse, it was like light bulbs went on. And I suddenly realized like all of this history of our marriage and the affairs and, you know, the deception and the manipulation and him shutting his heart to me and like stonewalling me and then gaslighting me and then love bombing me to pull me back Mm. in. That's like, cycle of abuse there would be this tension building and then it would eventually after a few days explode into an argument and there was the blame shifting and the gaslighting and then he would pull away and i would pull away because i'm hurt but then he would feel cut the narcissistic supply cut off so he'd have to suck me back Mm. in and that's when the love wow right so i gotta pull back in but he didn't even really pull me back in he's just started pulling other women in like i need my emotional connection and fix from anyone around me because he was actually like suicidal and depressed on the inside but on the outside he was this big successful ministry right. star, you know and everyone would look at our lives and be like oh my gosh they're so perfect they have beautiful kids they have a nice big house they have you know they go on these vacations then inside we are completely disconnected arguing all the time and narcissistic cycle of abuse going yeah. on over and over again and 
So all, all of a sudden, everything made sense. I was like, wow, you manipulated me to marry you. You manipulated me into staying when you had your affair. You minimized this. You minimized that. It was like all of these things I thought were just like normal, arguing, difficult seasons of life, <clears throat> marriage. I was actually just, I was dealing with a narcissist oh. and someone who also was like grooming and, you know, trying to exploit the vulnerabilities and emotions of other women around him so he could get those needs, wow. you know, and even though he didn't have like a sexual affair this time, it was almost worse because it was more confusing. It was really hard to, to nail to the wall. Like what is going on? Yeah. Like, why is there so much like, you know, lies and deception and, and the shame I felt over it from being like internationally embarrassed. Ugh. Like it was just like my world came crashing yeah. to company. So not only does like my marriage fall apart, his ministry falls apart, our income falls apart. I'm thinking we're, we close the school. We have to give refunds to everybody. His reputation is shot. There's, I don't know if we're going to like have to file bankruptcy and sell our house and how we're going to support our kids. I don't even know if I'm going to stay with him at this point. Cause it's all like my, the mirage has like broken right. and it was like, okay, this is like worst case scenario. Like other than like maybe him dying or something Gosh, or my yeah. kids dying. I don't know. Like I couldn't paint a worse picture. So I picked myself up sort of from the floor here. And also as I'm like, you know, eight months pregnant, just about figuring out what the hell am I going to do? Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah. Can we talk about that and, for a second? You were like about to give birth. That's like so insane. It's insane. And, and it just shows like the mental state he was in. And we had just gotten back from like Tony Robbins events. I thought our marriage was great. We were talking late at night. We were even having sex regularly. Wow. And yet then I find out there's this whole nother th world going on. I'm like, you must be insane. You must be a narcissist in order to pull this right. off. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And he just kind of went into this tailspin of mental illness and re trying to rectify what he right. had done. So he left. He was suicidal. So he gave his, like, his gun to his brother and was like, okay, went to a cabin in the woods to basically, like, hang out for a while. Wow. While the whole world hated him because everybody knew like what he did. It wasn't like secret. It wasn't, they tried, they were keeping it fairly contained until he just kept lying and lying and lying. And eventually they had to expose right. him. So it, it was just like a mess. So I didn't even know, like, do I even want him at the birth? But he was like blaming and yelling and just angry for like the next month and a half, like lashing out at everybody, blaming everybody. And it's like, buddy, you are the only one responsible. Wow. So even um, after he was called out on all of that, he was still cycling through like blame shifting and um, all that totally. stuff. That's so crazy. Yeah, it was it was insane. It was like I, and I tried to put up boundaries and say, like, I'm not even going to talk to you if you can't treat me with respect then this conversation's over. You can text me or you can email me. And then it became just email. And he hated that. Let me tell you, like having those boundaries. But I found boundaries is the only thing that works with a narcissist. Wow. And I just learned to get real good at setting boundaries. Because I was like, I am not dealing with your level of crazy. I have to get ready to have a baby. Yeah. This is happening. Yeah. And I don't need your insanity in that birth room. And I even told him, you are not even welcome there until I know I can trust you and you can show up in peace and presence. And I had to pull 
on this deep, deep strength in myself that I did not know I had that wow. in order to survive this season. Like I had to separate like emotionally from him. And this is a relationship that had a lot of obviously dysfunction in it, but also codependency, mm. not me as I'm learning about narcissism going, Oh, I have codependent tendencies. Like I should have put boundaries up here. I should have had these be red flags. Mm. I should have known like when to set things boundaries and confront and not, didn't really understand that. So all of a sudden I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm like doing the work in myself now going, okay, I am done. I am not participating in this like crazy house yeah. anymore. We're, that is, that is wow. over. Like you need to shape up. You need to man up. You need to show up for me and our kids if you want to stay together. Mm -hmm. So, but we, and we were separated, but I was just like hammering, protecting my peace during this time because wow. I had two other kids to take care of and a baby to deliver. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, it was not easy. I remember probably like at my lowest low being in my, like waking up, laying in my closet, my walk-in closet naked like nine months pregnant and just crying like i don't even know what to do i don't even have the energy to get dressed right now i have to take care of my kids but i'm just like all i could do was cry and i'm like here i'm lying on the floor naked and pregnant and like what the this and and there was like something in me that knew like this is my lowest point like this is the lowest point i'll ever be and from there I was like, okay, I can only go up. And I just like went right into Jesus arms during mm -hmm. this. I was like, okay, God, you're making me stronger. And it wasn't like I had any anger at him. I knew like, this is fully my husband's choice. Whatever's going on in his heart, he made these choices and Jesus is going to protect me and he's for me and he's going to take care of me and my girls, even if I don't have a plan and I don't know what's in the future and I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. I was like, God. You better deal with him. Like you promised me you'd deal with him. You never finished the job 10 years ago. <laughs> Cause I knew back then God promised me, let, he said, let me deal with him when my husband was supposedly standing at the top of a building, ready to jump off and kill himself. Back then he threatened that talk about mental illness and narcissism. Yeah. And I hung up the phone cause God told me, let me deal with him. Wow. So I was like, okay, God. It's 10 years later, you didn't finish the job. You better. It's been a decade. <laughs> What's going on? Like this is, this is overdue. I, I'm out. I am out. I am done trying to fix this, man. It is on you wow. now. <laughs> oh, like literally I was just like throwing everything into the arms of Jesus. Seriously. Like, okay, you are driving the ship and I am just going to trust you. Uh, whew, yeah. And it, and I did. Um, so at the end, I did invite him into the birth space. I told him you need to man up and shape up and leave all of this stress at the door. I have no interest in you trying to solve all of this stuff and make yourself look good and save your reputation, whatever, all the schemes he was doing. I was like, I'm not interested. If you want to show up, you're there yeah. for me. This is about yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So we had a beautiful home birth. Um, in, in our bedroom. And the ironic thing, Bethany, is that God promised me at the beginning of this pregnancy, that this birth would be marked by peace and intimacy. Wow. Intimacy with my husband specifically, I felt. And, and here I am seven and a half, eight months pregnant. My world falls apart. My husband's lying to me. And I'm like, what did you mean by that? God, like, 
What the wow. hell? I don't see how that's possible. Yeah. Right? Like it was completely the opposite of what needed to happen. Just everything got exposed. And now how, how are you going to create intimacy in this birth? Peace and intimacy. This is the most chaotic, stressful, insane season of my life. Trauma traumatic yeah. season of my life. I'm in survival mode here. I was like, okay, God, what? Like I gave up on it. I actually was like, I, I don't even see how that's possible. And there was this moment in the birth where I was in the bathtub and my doulas and midwives were trying to fill the tub, the like birth tub in our room with water. And it wasn't hot enough yet. And they're all working on that. And I'm in the tub and it's like transition. Like I am like moaning and I'm just like, oh, but it wasn't painful because yeah. I knew how to work with my body. I knew how to welcome the surges and embrace yeah. them, but it was definitely intense. And I remember like saying like, I accept you to my mm. body. Like I accepted the surge because I remember fighting it at one point. And then I said, I accept you. And then I turned to my husband who was like right next to me. And I looked at him and I said, I accept you. And it was like this Holy Spirit thing. Wow. And the surge would come and I'd say, you know what to do. You come and you go. And it was like this acceptance of all the chaos in my life that I could not control. And the situation that was totally out of my hands. And here I am in labor with surges and like contractions happening to my body that I can't control. And I am so in like ready. I, I'm like, you know, and I just said, I accept you. I accept my life. I accept you, my husband, not healed yet. I knew you are not healed yet, but you are on the journey and I accept you right where wow. you are. And I accept everything in my life. And it was like, just this incredibly peaceful moment and very intimate birth. And he's just pouring water over my belly, you know, and it's like such a thick presence of Holy wow. Spirit there. And it was like all of the chaos just paused and all the demons like working in the background were just like, all right, we, we're not allowed in there. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like Holy Spirit, like this moment of peace and intimacy in my birth. And I then they're like, okay, the tub's ready. So I got in the tub. Like half an hour later, I pushed her out and he actually got in with me, which he hadn't done in any of our other births. So he was, he got to like catch the baby because I was leaning over the side of the tub and she came out and he caught her wow. from behind, they, like her under my leg. And I caught her here. And then like, I laid back on him and <clears throat> it was like perfection. I could not have designed it that way. And then after the birth, I remember saying like, thank you. Like that was, I needed like you to support me and you did, but I still need you to like look, right. leave. Like, I don't want, I'm not ready to have you move back home yet. You have a lot more yeah. work to do. So I was so proud of myself for holding up those boundaries because old Karen would have just said, Oh, it's okay. You can come back. God healed right. our heart and you're better now. And we had this lovely experience. And there was this part of me that was afraid I would do that. Mm. I was afraid I was going to take down my boundaries and just let him come back, even if he wasn't truly better. Wow. So I was so proud of myself. I learned how to set healthy boundaries. I learned like how to break off codependency and fear. Boy, that whole experience like broke off shame and judgment. So, like the fear of judgment of people judging you yeah. because I knew, you know what? Christians are going to be offended and mad and judge me whether I divorce him or whether I yes. stay with him. There was like a whole group of people that were going to be pissed off if I stayed and a whole other group that were going to be pissed off if I yep. divorced. And I was like, you know what? They're going to be pissed off either way. I'm going to do what I want to yeah. do. I'm going to like follow God here 
and make my own choices and not worry about what other people think yes. of me. And so we walked through this, this process of, that was very painful and lots of trauma. And then after three months, he, I invited him to come back home. And then we kind of just pr- like worked on doing life and raising kids for the next two years. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit and things started like heating up a lot. Just the board with the pro- the process, people were like getting nervous. He was still not healthy and not doing well and still manipulating online. And I'm noticing those red flags. I'm getting more keen on like, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this, this cycle, this narcissistic cycle of abuse is still happening, even though it might not be a big, huge argument, or it's not like you're going out, like totally shutting down and having affairs, but I'm noticing the same patterns. I'm noticing the same blame shifting, right. the same gaslighting, the sa- like, I'm like, I don't think anything's actually changed. Even though we had like gone to Hawaii, we went on a whole vacation. We were like better. Everyone in his world was very suspicious that he'd actually been healed or that he'd made rec- a recovery. And the more that we all sort of understood narcissism and how that works, the more we were doubting that what he was showing us was really the, a true healing. Really? Um, and what really did it for me, I was working with a psychologist at the time who was helping me understand the behaviors. And it was so helpful to like show up and be like, here's what, what happens. And he'd be like, yeah, that's gaslighting. That's this. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're right. Like it was like bringing a, a sense of reality to what was my life that was very abstract that I couldn't define that I, that was hard to explain to someone and then to see it through like a mirror to have it mirrored back to me. Like, no, that's very dysfunctional. Right. Like that's not normal. And that's, that's what we call that. It was like, Oh, I'm not crazy. Okay. That's great. So I remember paying attention to all of the like kind of triggers that were going on and the, and the arguing and not just dismissing them like they're normal arguments, but actually going, Oh no, this is, this is that, that cycle Mm -hmm. again. And when I would feel it, or I'd feel like he would get triggered or we would start to get in an argument or he would start to get disrespectful. I would put up a boundary right away and say like, I'm not available for this conversation if you're going to talk to me that way. And as things kind of intensified, And more and more people started like exposing him more all over again. Like this happened two years ago, but now there's like more people talking about it, more people, you know, writing about it, sharing about it. And his reaction to it was very numb and like nonchalant. And I was like an emotional mess. Like why are we going through this all over again? Like I thought this was over and And he had like no emotional capacity to empathize with me or the people who were the women who were writing all of these stories about him. And I just remember looking at him being like, you don't get it. Like if you don't understand how you hurt people, how you hurt me and our children and what you put us through and how you hurt these women and all the people that you let down that, that looked up to you. If you don't understand how you hurt these people, you're going to do it again. It might be in five years, it might be in 10 years, but it's going to happen again if you don't really get and have empathy for all of these people that you've hurt. Myself, like at the top of the list. And I realized I can't build a life with someone who is going to sabotage it and tear it down in five or 10 years. Like he did it 10 years ago. He did it again now. And I'm seeing the signs, the warning flags. For the first time, I felt like I'm actually seeing the red flags for what they are. 
and looking at them going, holy shit, nothing's changed. And it was like the most distressful season of my life. It was more, it was actually harder emotionally at that point to walk through than like when it first happened and I was pregnant because I knew now I have to leave him. I can't stay with someone who's going to sabotage our life. I can't build a life with someone like that who's going to continue to lie and deceive and gaslight me and and sabotage everything we've right. built. Like like it it and so I there was this part this part of me inside that was just dying and part of it was my codependency. It was this fear of what will I do alone? What will it mean if I'm alone? I'm a single mom now raising three kids. What will it mean? How will I provide for myself? Am I going to have to go on welfare? Where am I going to live? Am I going to have to move in with my mom in a tiny little inner city apartment and sleep on a couch? Like all of these questions are going through my head because I have no answers. All I know is I can't stay with you. It it went against my conscience to actually sleep with someone who, who really just still did not get it. And I felt like it was the hardest decision for me to make in my life. I remember literally feeling tormented, like, like so much confusion, so much stress and anxiety. I I wasn't sleeping and it was like torture. And the moment I made the decision, like I I have to end it. I have to move on with my life and separate because he has not changed. And he says he has, and he thinks he has, but everyone in his life knows he hasn't. And I felt like I was the last person to really figure it out and admit to myself, like, no, you haven't. Mm. Um, and I think because I also had the most to lose, you know, like this isn't just, you know, oh, let's divorce. Like we have three kids together. This was a big decision. We'd been together 16 years at that point. We'd went, gone through hell together. And the decision to leave was like so weighty. But I'm telling you, the moment I made that choice, it was like all the confusion left, all the voices left all the anxiety and the fear and the turmoil in my head immediately went silent. And it was like, God was like saying, yep, you're making the right choice. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have to do this because I can't move forward with you. So I I sat down with him and had a conversation. I I showed him like a report. I had talked about with my psychologist and it kind of just highlighted like all the characteristics of a narcissist and all the things that I'd seen and all the relationships I'd wa- I'd watched him have or the the types of interactions he'd had with other people and other women and myself. And I made all these notes and I was like, this is what I see. Like, do you see how you've hurt us? And it was kind of like, yeah, I get it. Like, I see it. It's does it, I was like, does this change anything for you? Like, do you, do you have any kind of emotional reaction to reading this? Cause it, it was like a heavy document. He was like, no, I was like, and I had already made my decision. I just kind of wanted to see, like, do you get it? Is there any empathy in there? Like, I was hunting, like, is there any empathy at all in there? Or are you just, like, going to blow it over? Like, nope, I'm good. I'm I'm better. And there was nothing. And I just remember saying, okay, I can't stay with you anymore. I don't want to be married to you anymore. So either you move out or I move out. But let me know. And he was just kind of like aghast and shocked and he didn't have a response. And I remember sitting there for like a minute waiting for him to reply and being like, all right, well, I'm going to bed. You, you let me know in the morning what your decision is because wow. <laughs> I didn't want to force him out, but I, and I didn't want to argue about it. I was just like, this is my choice. Like you can't make someone love you. You can't make someone stay. And the minute you understand that, like you have all the power. Yeah. I knew I had all the power and I wasn't going to argue and have a power struggle. It was either you're leaving or I'm leaving. And if you're 
that much of an asshole that you're going to dig your heels in the stand and make me leave. I'm going to move in with my mom in the city and sleep on a, a couch if I have to. Like, I was that serious. Wow. I was like, I will figure it out. I don't even care. But I am not staying with you one more day. Wow. And then, and so he, I went to bed. I was like, this isn't even a discussion. This isn't like, what are we going to do? This is an ultimatum. The next morning, he packed him, his stuff up and he left and, and moved in with his parents. And I was like talking to people about divorce lawyers, like, okay, how do I protect myself? How do I do this? They supposedly get nasty. And, and, and I think at first I just needed a break. I needed to breathe. I was like, I need to like live without this dynamic uh -huh. that I'm living in, that it's become so normal to me. I need to live without it. And it was like a breath of fresh air. It was like, I could finally breathe. And he showed up the next day to like have dinner. And I was like, what are you doing? It's like, well, I thought we'd have like family dinner. Like we did the last separation. I'm like, oh no, I don't want to see you. I don't want to see your face. Like you can leave now. Goodbye. Yes. <laughs> and I was so proud of myself. Like this is the girl who's like, I just want your love yes. and affection and attention. And, and I'm so desperate. And now I'm like, get the hell out. No more codependency, no more yes. fear. And nobody even knew then what was going on because it's it, like, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic when everything shut down. And everybody's like isolated in their homes. And let me tell you, that exposed a lot of marriage problems. It created a lot of babies yeah. and a lot of divorces. <laughs> and we were on the divorce side going fast down that train. Oh, my God. So it was so, it was just so intense. And that, you know what? Like I could end it there. And, and honestly, I feel like God could redeem it. Like I, I just knew no, no matter what, he was going to take care of me and my yeah. girls. And the amazing thing that actually happened was he, he finally got the motivation he needed to really find the help mm -hmm. he needed. I didn't do a thing to influence it. In fact, I had, I wanted nothing to do with his process at that point. I I was probably controlling it and like getting involved and trying to help him in the past. And I was like, I am, I don't care what you do. Like he flew to the, Washington state to meet with some narcissism expert. And he flew here and did this and did this program. I was just like, I don't care. Like he would tell me about it all. I'd be like, okay. Like I'm only talking to you because I have to, cause we have to right, here right. right now. And otherwise I don't right. really care. I was, I was like just in survival mode. And he joined a program called the bulletproof husband that really helps men save their marriages from divorce and save children from the pain of marriage. Mm. And it was another program for me. I was like, you're just going to turn it against me like everything else and like take these wonderful tools and turn them into a weapon to use against mm -hmm. me. Like that's just how it always goes, right? He gets too smart about something and feels like an expert and then uses it against me to somehow manipulate yeah. me because that's what's in him. And if you don't deal with that, if you don't deal with that behavior and that abuse, and it truly was emotionally abusive for much of our wow. marriage, which I didn't realize I didn't understand I was in an emotionally abusive relationship until I could finally admit that and see it and then I was like we're done and so he learned to face his abusive issues he learned to face his trauma he learned to face his childhood pain this thing was called Saraset with brain waves that uses frequencies and it unlocked a bunch of childhood trauma and repressed memories wow. and there was this like journey he went on and I just sat back and watched mm. and I was like there was like this glimmer of hope that would come up and I'd be like, Hmm, this looks different. Like he's not triggered. He's not reacting to me the same way. He's not, he's th this conversation would normally have created an explosion and an argument. And now it's not. And yeah. he's 
He's like, oh, I'm going to go deal with this. I'm going to go take this to my guys. I'm going to go punch a punch and bag. I'm going to, I'm going to deal with this trigger in me. And, and then he'd stop and walk away. And he never did that before. And so I got curious, like, huh, something's changing. I knew like something is changing. And I think it was like six months or so of like him doing this work, putting in the work in constantly and talking to men every day and getting like his ass handed to him, like confronting, being confronted and putting himself in like a group that would hold him accountable to a really high wow. level that he had never experienced before with other men. And it, this, this program and the work he did in it, I saw him change. I just saw like his affect change and his responsibility. He started to take responsibility again. And it, it literally, I just saw him transform in front of me. It was wild. Wow. When I had given up all hope and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to divorce because you're not, there's no cure for narcissism. Yeah. It's just the way yeah. it is. You're just going to live like this and, but it's not going to be with yeah. anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and I saw him change and all of these characteristics of narcissism, just like he began addressing them and he would get to the root of why do I do this? Why do I manipulate people? Why do I have to cover things up and why am I ashamed of this or that. And, and I just one by one saw, and he would show up and he would read me this apology letter that was like taking ownership for how he treated me. And he'd be like, you know, I always thought you were the controlling one, but actually I was actually the one controlling. Wow. I was the one who was insecure, deeply insecure and ashamed. And I tried to cover it up by controlling you. And just like, like dozens of things like that. Like he would just take ownership for things like, and reframe them in ways that I was like, yeah, you're right. And all of this pain that was inside me, all of this distrust and fear and anger and hatred, he actually like gave me a place to like vomit it out. Uh -huh. Cause here he is showing up, taking ownership in a way that he never had before that I couldn't even imagine him doing uh -huh. this. Like if, even if, to, to, even if I like would bring the conversation up, it would create an argument and he would get so triggered. But now here he is showing up, going to this deep place and being like, yeah, this is what happened. This is what I did. Here's why I did it. Here's why it's never going to happen again. Here's how it made you feel. Here's how I imagine it made you feel. Would you tell me how it actually made you feel? Right. What else did I make you feel? And I, first I wouldn't even answer. I was like, okay, thanks. Bye. Like, I don't even want to talk to you. I don't want to open my heart at all. Like my heart is locked shut. Yeah. It is like under lock and key. You are not getting in. Right. And then like slowly and like, like, like very gently, like he kept showing up over and over again and share and sharing these letters with me and doing the work and doing the emotional work and then coming to me. And I began to like, just like very ever so slowly, like open my heart to him and like sharing, here's what it did. Here's what it did. And then you did this and then you did that. And at first it was just all the anger at the surface. And I would just like, you know, spew it out thinking fully, he's going to run away. He's going to shut down and stonewall me just like he always right. does when I really am honest about my feelings and how he hurt me. And instead he didn't run wow. away. He didn't shut down. He didn't stonewall. He listened. And then he would respond and say, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Wow. That. And I'm like, who is this person? Like, I don't, I don't know who you are anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and that just built so much trust. And I could see how hard it was for him to do this work. It was not easy because for him to face the pain that he had to face in order to get the healing he got, very few people, very few men have the strength and like the courage to wow. do that. Cause not only do you have to face it and it's freaking painful 
but you have to work through it and feel it and let, and let yourself feel it and then do the work to heal it and release it and then confront those behaviors when they want to show up. Right. Again. And literally like he was changing his like neural pathways. He was changing his responses to like things that were so ingrained in him for like 30 years or more ingrained in him from childhood, like how to respond and react and self-protect and, you know, cover up and blame shift and like anything to, protect himself. It's they are very self-protective, you know, dysfunctional personality disorder. And he was just confronting every single behavior that was abusive and manipulating and deceptive and like self-protective everything until it was just him left. And it was this little boy that he learned to love again wow. and show up and like actually truly be intimate and truly show up in a marriage and be, you know, intimate uh, a partner that could hold intimacy, that could show up and show himself and be right. loved by somebody else instead of having to put on a mask. And, and it just transformed our, com our entire marriage. Um, you know, the, our kids got a, like a new father, like a, a, someone who was able to actually like be there present with them emotionally. So that, what that happened, that separation was like two years ago. Wow. So we've, we've been now married, ha happily married for the first time in like 20 years or 19 now, um, two of those, the last two years being like the best of our whole life. Mm. And we'll laugh at each other now and say things like, remember when I would say something like this in the past and you would get so triggered and you get so mad. He, and he'd like laugh like, oh my gosh, I was so miserable. I can't believe I lived like that for like 35 years. Wow. Yeah. So the last two years have been the best of our marriage. And I'm so glad God intervened yeah. and healed him and that I was able to step out completely and just be like, this is not on me. Yeah. <laughs> and now we have a great sex life. We have a great relationship. He has empowered me in my business, in taking it from a little doula business to like a seven figure, you know, online business that I am so proud of. He supports me so much. He watches the kids at home. He takes them, wakes up and takes them to the bus stops. He can show up for me in his fullness and be present with me. And we might argue now, like maybe once a month or every two yeah. months. Like it's, it used to be constant, Bethany. Like we lived in disconnection. We'd go from one argument to the next and never actually solve wow. any of them. And now we might argue like once in a blue moon, like every couple months. And usually he'll, he'll come back and like apologize or stop and like say, okay, I overreacted or I did, did, you know, I need to go work on why this is a trigger for me. I'm going to call my men. He still talks to the men in this program on a regular basis and is fully honest and transparent about everything in his life with them, which I love. Cause I never have to worry. Like, are you going to hide something from me? Are you, are you telling me the truth? Cause I know like he has men that are holding him accountable to a much higher level than I need that, that I don't have to worry wow. about it. And he'll be honest with me if I ask, but I don't need to because that accountability and that brotherhood is, is there. We're just enjoying being married and I'm realizing like, wow, this is a happy marriage. And I used to think, oh, we have, you know, success and fame and money, but we don't have yeah. true love. And I used to like be envious of those people who had true, true mm -hmm. love, you know, cause we were just arguing and I felt so unseen and so rejected in my marriage. And now I'm like, we got it all. 
We got true love. We got intimacy. We got hot sex. We got amazing kids and God has blessed us like financially. And it's just like more than I could have ever asked. That's amazing. It's like, you're, you now got your honeymoon phase. It's like, yeah, like now, now we're creating the life we want to have. Now I'm like, how do we, how do we strategically create the life we want? And one of that is just like going on more vacations (laughs) as a family. It's so fun. And it's so cool to see the arc of your story and how, you know, from the beginning, it was this shy, not really confident girl in high school who didn't feel like worthy of the love and care and all the things that you have now to you like having these breakthroughs. I mean, through like really traumatic moments, but like seeing that full story like come together of where you had breakthroughs, like literally as you're giving birth, having these moments of I see you and I see you and I I accept what's happening and where I'm at. And like these, all these little breakthroughs that you've had have like led you to this really powerful, really like potent woman that you've become. And like, that's why you have the platform you have. That's why you have the influence that you have is because you've gone through the fire and you've come out the other side. Talk about being refined like you've been through that and it's just so cool to see so thank you so much for sharing your story this is so good um it's been such a journey and i'm so grateful for it and i'm grateful to and thankful that we never have to do it again yeah (laughs) you guys are just so much stronger you literally have a new marriage It, it does it feels like a whole new marriage like this is a person i didn't know for most of our marriage and it's still like he's still him but there's like so much more of him available yeah. to me that wasn't available before. And the journey we went through and walked through to get from completely shut down and like I'm calling divorce lawyers to like beautiful, intimate sex. It did not happen overnight. Yeah. And it really a lot for me. I had to learn so many things with yes. my own body, embracing my own sexuality as my own, not as something that's like mine and his that's been a journey too like oh this is this is mine this is me this is my energy I get to own this when I actually took ownership for my own sexuality well another level of like intimacy which is a great segue because next episode we are going to talk about self-pleasure and self-love and it's going to be such a good episode so Thank you guys so much for joining us this episode and we will see you in the next one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Her Sacred Sexuality Podcast. We would love to hear your thoughts and takeaways. Connect with us on Instagram at Her Sacred Sexuality. Take 60 seconds to share this episode with your besties and leave us a five-star review. That's the best compliment you could give us.